The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Have you heard about the river that runs under the city? Yeah, it's there. It's a true story. You have to be willing to spelunk down into the darkness to find it, but it carries the whole city. It runs through the dark caverns of shattered soul, and it comes from and leads to the exact same place. Everybody talks about it here. Its story's been passed down from one generation to the next for centuries. Or maybe it's just another ghost story told by the fire on a campout. How can you find out? Well, today we're going to talk about just that. We're going to learn whether this river of omniscience is the real deal or just a fabled illusion. And if it's real, we're going to find out how to find it and to allow it to flow in and through us. So you've heard about rivers that run under cities, right? The Tyburn River in London, the Sawmill River in Yonkers uh, is one that they're thinking about bringing up above ground because of the Chianchi Chian in, uh, River in Seoul that used to be underground, that uh, Seoul, South Korea, that used to be underground, and now they've brought it above ground and, and made it into a beautiful part of the city. So this idea of a mythological river that runs underneath cities is uh, rampant throughout the world. We have uh, one a mythological story in my own city that says how there's like three rivers that are supposed to run under the city and all the many things that have happened down there, including the days back in the days when uh, caverns included uh, 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 wineries and places where people could go and get uh, alcoholic beverages during the Prohibition days. So uh, the idea of a river running underneath a city is a is a a mysterious kind of idea. And that's why I've chosen that, that analogy today because that is exactly uh, what this whole idea of omniscience is all about. When we think about omniscience, we typically think of, of the supernatural. We t- th- t- think in terms of um, God, the divine, the power of something bigger and more universal and more eternal than we could ever imagine ourselves being. But if, in fact, we are one with the divine, which I believe we are, and, of course, you get to make up your own decisions about what you believe, um, then it's possible that we might have access to that same information that is accessible to the divine. And the interesting part that I think might be true about this information is that it doesn't just lead to information, it leads us to ourselves. It comes from and leads to the same exact place, which is the self or the soul. Interchangeable terms in my vocabulary. So 
when we when we talk about this idea of omniscience, it's a really scary idea that we might be able to know things that are mysterious to us, and yet mystery in, in and of itself. Uh, I, I'm not sure that it will go away uh, in any kind of going away sense. It doesn't. It's not a black and white. Either we have mystery or we don't. I think there are things that we know that are still mysterious. For example, I know when I love somebody, and yet how I know that and how that love exists, I don't have a clue. I can tell you, it's a mystery. Um, and uh, uh, when we think about mystery, we think in terms of, oh, well, it's something I can't know, or at least I don't know right now. And yet, I think that perhaps there is a paradoxical connection between knowing and mystery. In other words, we can know mystery. We can know the essence of mystery itself. We can know how uh, that we love and without necessarily understanding all of its, mentally at least, understanding all of its accoutrements. So there's all kinds of knowing and one of the one of the things that I've come to understand about knowledge is that it is not uh, um, the same as fact. Not The word knowledge is not a synonym with the word fact. When we think in terms of fact, we think in terms of scientific evidence. We think of empirical data that says, okay, I know this because I can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, smell it, hear it. That's how I know it. And, of course, we all also understand that there are things that we can feel, taste, touch, feel, and, and see and hear that don't that are also mysterious that don't fit into the normal what we would call the normal paradigm of of fact so um, when when we talk about knowledge we're not talking about knowledge in terms of its of its factual data we're not talking about the kind of information that we get that says uh, knowledge is fact and fact is knowledge and that's never the, you know, it's always going to be that way and that's how it is and that's the only way it can be. In fact, m- knowledge is a process of experience. And one of the things that we know is that we very often don't need an experience, you know, once we know, once we've had it. For example, with parenting, when, once we're done parenting, as much as we can be done parenting, uh, we no longer need the experience of parenting. We don't get the experience of parenting until we're done with that experience. And so we have to have lived all the way through our children's adolescence and early adulthood and sometimes up into their young adulthood uh, in their 30s. And even then, there'll be stuff we'll learn. So I'm guessing that as a parent, I will not know everything about parenting until I'm dead. <laughs> and then I won't need it anymore. So knowledge is not necessarily uh, something that we can grab hold of and say, okay, I've got this knowledge now and it belongs to me and I can own it and I can stand on it and live out of it. Knowledge is can very often be a process in which we gather more and more unfolding bits and pieces of threads we will weave and woof together to make into something ultimately that becomes a blanket or a quilt that we will use um, to, uh, to for our wisdom. And, and knowledge and wisdom, um, I'm going to use as interchangeable terms here because I think they are very similar. Very often we consider knowledge to be data, whereas we consider wisdom to be uh, information that comes from experience. I think they're the same thing. 
I think there is no true knowledge that comes without experience, and and um, there are no facts that aren't also based in mystery. So uh, when when it comes to what we know, then we have to sort of get down to the bare bones of uh, what's possible with regard to uh, to knowledge. So now, having said that, as a sort of philo- philosophical underpinning of what we're going to be talking about today, and I will say some more about that in a little while, but um, what we're saying here is that there is information that is of a universal and eternal nature that is available to us because we are one with the divine. We are one with each other. We are interconnected. Um, And if you believe that, um, and I can't say whether you do or not, but if you believe that, then when we start talking about there are things that we can't really know in terms of the kind of knowledge I'm talking about, which is a process of experience, then what we're saying is I'm not necessarily really one with the divine. So we do a lot of doublespeak when it comes with this, to this idea of, of, of oneness. And the reason we do the doublespeak is because we still live in that duality trance state in which we all were born and have all lived and uh, will continue to live until duality is no longer a trance state. Um, and if you've listened to my show for any length of time, you know that duality is a fair constant in my conversation and that um, the idea that we're separate from the divine is the basic bottom line of duality. And that because we believe we're separate from the divine, we therefore cannot behave in certain ways. We cannot uh, actualize ourselves completely. We cannot. There are so many things that we can't do because we're not. We're we're bad people down here living on planet Earth, be, uh, separate from the divine. It's that's somewhere up there, far away from us, split off and uh, inaccessible, except through good behavior or some kind of ritual that will get us back in touch with it. But even then, it's only a connection. It's not really oneness. To say that we're one with divine in many of the Western traditions is blasphemy. So um, it's you know when I say we're one with the divine, people can say, well, okay, lots of religions say we're one with the divine, but really, let's talk about sin and let's talk about um, how we are so separate that we can't do certain things. Okay, now we're talking double speak. So. For example, one of the one of my books about the law of attraction uh, that talks about uh, why it isn't working is based entirely in the belief that we have to draw things to us because we don't have them. And the idea of oneness says, in fact, we already have them. They may even been be inside of us, but we think they're out there, and therefore we think we have to get them to come to us. And that mythology keeps us living in a state of unhappiness when, metaphorically speaking, that million dollars is already inside of me. And I'm not saying uh, a literal million dollars. I am saying whatever it is that we think a million dollars will give us is already inside of us. So... The idea that um, we're split off and separate from the divine is one that just constantly filters into and out of our thinking and our conversations with regard to what's possible for us as human beings. And so this idea that omniscience is accessible to us 
is just well nigh unto foreign. Um, it, it's not one that we want to think about very much. It's not one we want to th- want to know about very much until and unless we get into a soul quandary or a dark night of the soul in which we start wanting real answers that we can really ground ourselves in. And at those times, we want to be able to access the river of omniscience. Um, and so, because that's true, I want to talk about it today. Because in our suffering, in our longing, we, we so much desire that ability to access mystery. And, and very often, the thing that we get when we go looking for an answer is not really an answer. But that doesn't mean we haven't tapped into omniscience. And here's what I mean by that. When we tap into omniscience, we don't necessarily get an answer to a question. What we get is recognition of who we are again. What we get is uh, that deep abiding knowing that comes from knowing that we are divine beings, that we are part and parcel of everything else that is, and that 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 oneness cannot be broken. That's the answer we get so many times. We go, we say, well, should I take this job? And the answer we get is we are one. We say, well, um, should I marry this man or this woman? And the answer we get is we are one. Uh, or should I invest this money? And the answer we get is we are one. So many times we think we haven't gotten an answer when we go into the depths and meditate and sit with. And yet we found some peace in there, but we still think we haven't gotten an answer. And we got an answer. It just wasn't the one we were looking for. Um, one of the things the Bhagavad Gita says is that all paths lead to me, Arjuna. That's what uh, um, it, uh, the discussion is happening between Krishna and Arjuna there. And Krishna says to Arjuna, all paths lead to me. And uh, so when we're asking, should I marry X, Y, and Z, or should I have this house, or should I put this money in here, or should I buy that car, or should I whatever, 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 very often um, we what we are being told is that all paths lead to me. All paths lead to me. So if all paths lead to me, we'll do it. See, let's see what happens, you know. Um, and in that process of seeking answers so many times, while we're looking for some divine answer that's going to come to us from some external entity, be it tarot, runes, uh, I Ching, uh, prayer, holding the Bible to your forehead and open it to a page, whatever, we're looking for some kind of divine um, uh, awareness that, um, that things are going to be okay if we take XYZ path. Well, what we get is a sense of peace and a sense of abiding, uh, knowing that we're going to be okay, that that we're always okay, that there is no harm, there is no uh, danger, there is only that oneness. And that is an answer. It's not the one we wanted, but it is an answer. And so when, we've, when we're thinking about accessing uh, uh, omniscience, we're not necessarily thinking about well, can I figure out what my neighbor is thinking or can I, you know, become psychic? Uh, although we certainly do have psychic abilities. Uh, that term is not one that a lot of people are comfortable with, but intuition and psychic are interchangeable terms synonymous with each other. So uh, we can get in touch with information that is useful to us and to others. 
And I definitely believe that the tarot and the runes and the I Ching and the um, all of those things are helpful to us. They are helpful sort of guides, and they put us more in touch with what's true inside of us and sometimes what's false inside of us so that we can see it more clearly. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get a ABC answer, that we're going to say, okay, what should I do about X? And we're going to go, and somebody's going to come down out on a big cloud and say, okay, well, here's what you should do. Um, very often it doesn't work like that. Very often we don't know what we should do until after we've done it. We look back and go, oh, okay, that was the right path. Yeah, I see that now. And it's a lot of experimentation. But if we can access that deeper uh, part of ourselves where we are recognizing, fully recognizing that we're one with the divine, not where we are one with the, with the divine because we are always one with the divine, but when we access that place where we know we're one with the divine, then we can walk into our path with some peace and some um, grounding, some deliberation, so, some de- deliberateness uh, to our step. So tapping into omnia, uh, omniscience is not uh, an end-all, be-all answer that says, okay, here's your direct route. I'm going to tell you, go down Highway 459 and take 95 up to, you know, Virginia and then go, it doesn't work like that. Uh, because the, uh, my thinking is that because the divine knows that all paths lead to the divine, then the path we take is going to be determined by our own um, stuff, our own blindness, our own vision, our own uh, ability, our own capacities, our own forebodings, our own fears, our own loves, our own lusts, our own, all of that is going to be included into what what decision we make. And frankly, it wouldn't matter if the divine came down on a cloud and said, here's what you should do. Very often we would say, oh, that wasn't really the divine. It's not really a cloud. And yeah, I really don't want to do that anyway. So the thing we want most of all, we can very easily talk ourselves out of because uh, it's not the answer we wanted to hear. And so that process is one in which we begin to just be open to a kind of surrender that says, okay, I'm willing to be me and walk with whatever that is and take what comes with it because that's what we've got. That's what we've got. We're all in a process of unfolding, um, taking off masks and costumes, taking off uh, skin, uh, putting the past in perspective, putting the present in perspective, looking at our lives from a reflective stance, looking at our lives from a judgment stance, looking at our lives through fear, through love, through compassion, through all kinds of things, and and, and identifying more so very often with our lives than we are with our essence. And in that process, we lose touch with that knowingness that is that river of omniscience. So, and we're going to talk about a little bit more right after the break about how we lose touch with it. And then we're going to talk after the, uh, after the next break about how we get back in touch with it. So, first of all, what we said today is there is a river of omniscience. It isn't necessarily what we thought it would be. And we can talk ourselves out of it. So we know those things already. Uh, we're going to talk right after the break, like I said, about how we get out of touch with that river. What happens to get us out of touch with that river? So we'll be back right after this break. Stay tuned for more.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, Holistic Theology offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD, Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. 
This is not just another spiritual diploma mill. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. For those interested in enrolling, there's a small down payment of $250, and then you pay only $150 a month, interest-free, toward manifesting your dream. And right now, AIHT is running a special program in which if you email us before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email Beverly Love at AIHT.edu and put win a free course in the subject line. If your letter is drawn, you will win a free course in which you can try out the education you will receive at AIHT. The big deal there is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how to fulfill your deepest longings for a fulfilling career, serving others using your own unique gift. And we're talking today about the river of omniscience that is running under all of our cities, under all of our feet. And uh, so if we, as we walk the path of our lives, that river of information, that river of knowledge, of knowing, of wisdom is always there for us, always. The problem is we're out of touch with it. We don't know there's a river. We don't know that it has information for us. We don't know the difference between knowledge and fact. We don't know these things. And the reason we don't know these things is because we've been living in a duality trance state, partially uh, from the beginning of time. That's been a part of all of our uh, understanding of life, is that we're separate from some higher supernatural being, and that we live down here in a separate real world that's real. And there's this rarefied other world out there where the divine lives, looking down on us all in our suffering, but the divine, he, as usually a he, is not paying much attention or doesn't really care or at least is not suffering with us. And so that idea uh, says, well, we're bad and we deserve this suffering and that other th- otherness in the divine extra world out there is, uh, is good and obviously doesn't deserve to suffer because they're not down here with us suffering. Um, so that's a basic underlying premise for everything that happens here on planet earth so we got that so that's and that's a part of what we're here doing and uh, again i refer those of you who haven't heard it back to a uh, an archived show which is just simply called duality in which i go into depth explaining what i believe and again everything i believe is up for grabs because you get to decide what you believe about duality, why it is here, what it, how it came to be, and what we're doing with it. So I refer you back to that for more information on that. But that's just a basic premise as to why we're out of touch with that river of omniscience. Beyond that, there is the fear that comes with being here on planet Earth that has everything to do with surviving. All of us, to some degree or another, are afraid that we're not going to get to be here much longer. So we do what we have to do to stay here. Because we don't know what's on the other side. That's a mystery. And we are afraid of that mystery. And so in order to bring more certainty to our uh, life, or at least the illusion of certainty, we uh, decide that we're going to do certain things that are going to present us with a feeling that we're okay. And 
so when we have parents who expect certain things of us that we and we either know this by intuition or they communicate it to us overtly or covertly we do what it is that they want us to do because we know that we need to stay connected to them because not staying connected to them means our ultimate death i mean it i mean animals know that so it doesn't take a lot of knowing to understand that we must have these people to live. And so instinctively we know that and we'll do whatever it takes to stay connected to them because they are our primary source of life. Now that sounds very uh, self-centered. Well, it is. <laughs> but it's also uh, because we fall in love with our parents. We, we worship them in some kind of way early on in our lives. They can do no wrong, and the only wrong that is done is ours. And so in that same exact way that we have an, uh, a foundational belief that the people on planet Earth are wrong and the divine beings up above somewhere out there in another place are, are, are good, this, we do that same exact thing with our parents. We, if there's some wrong, if there's some bad in the house, it must be us. And the reason we do that is because it makes us have some kind of sense that we can control things. We think that if we, if I, for example, if dad's mad and uh, he's mad at mom and they're fighting, a child might think, oh, well, if I'm just better, they'll stop fighting. And of course, that's magical thinking. It's connecting dots that don't really go together, but the child doesn't know that. And so he or she begins to live out of that premise that if I'm just really good, they'll stop fighting. Because it scares the child that they fight. So they put this illusionary idea in their heads because children have imagination. If they have nothing else, they have imagination. And so they put that imaginary idea in their heads and say, okay, this is, this is going to work. This is gonna, everything's going to be fine now. I know what to do. I'll be good. And so they be good and then parents keep fighting and they try to get better and the parents keep fighting. They try to get better and the parents keep fighting. And that just becomes a way of living. It's sort of waiting like the greyhounds chasing that little metal bunny around the racetrack. They never catch it, but they're, they're in that bargaining mode. If I do this, then that will happen and that's the bargain. And so we can, we develop our masks and costumes out of that and we begin to identify with our behavior patterns out of that and and as we identify with a behavior pattern we say that is who we are as a, as a psychotherapist i have many clients who come in and see me and they'll sit down on the sofa or the chair and they'll say this is who i am that's just who i am and they're describing some kind of behavior you know i'll give you the shirt off my back that's just who i am or, you know, I'm somebody who's just always thinking about other people first. That's just who I am. Or I'm just somebody who really feels insecure. That's just who I am. That's how we define ourselves. We define ourselves by the way we behave. And sometimes, more rarely, but sometimes by the way we feel. So those definitions of who we are keep us from finding out who we really are. And it is that that is part of the problem in us getting in touch with omniscience. So we we are raised in a home in our early years, formative years, as they say, that, that tell us who to be. And we try to be that. And again, that very often these messages are not delivered uh, overtly. In other words, they're not, nobody's directly saying, listen, you need to grow up to be somebody who feels guilty all the time because I don't want to feel guilty. So here, you take that. Uh, we don't, nobody says that. But we get these messages sort of under the table. Because 
Guess why? Because we have the ability to know. We have the ability to know and therefore we have the ability to tap into omniscience. But what we know in this case is this is what mommy needs from me. So that's what I'm going to give mommy because I need to stay connected to mommy. And maybe mommy never said it. Never ever said it. But we know it because it comes through in the subtle nuances of the interactions. So that's evidence that we can know stuff. In some circles, it is said that 95% of all of our interactions with other people are nuanced, unconscious, um, nonverbal interactions. In other words, what is said is only 5% of the interaction. Now that's, I don't know whether that's really true. I'm not sure you can really measure that stuff or not, but I would say, you know, a good somewhere between 95 and 70%, 70 and 95% would be probably pretty accurate. That's just my opinion. You can take it or leave it. Uh, but the, the idea is that we're, we, ha- we can know what's going on between us and another person and we can orchestrate our behavior along the lines of what we think that other person needs from us. And then we can hang our name tag on it. Because we hang our name tag on it, we can say, okay, that's who I am. That's that's me. And it may or may not have anything whatsoever to do with who we are. We might use some primary innate skills to do that. For example, if I'm a very uh, intelligent person with a very high IQ, I might pick intellectualism as my favorite way of coping with my reality because that's something I know I can do. If I'm a very empathetic person, I might become what I call the scapegoat in the family so that I'm picking up all the things that people need and trying to give it to them and I'm carrying all the guilt <clears throat> excuse me, for the family and I'm um, trying very, very, very hard to be good all the time because that's what my family needs from me and I think that my job on planet Earth is to sacrifice myself for others. So I've picked that up from what I think they need from me and I'm acting it out and that's who I think I am. And very often I see people coming, particularly women, but sometimes men as well, come into the office and, and really demonstrate that this is their pattern. And uh, we have to really realize that the feelings of resentment that they have about having served so many times and sacrificed so much for so many people and not ever found any time for themselves is not a bad feeling at all, but actually something that is coming up inside of them trying desperately to save their lives. So that's information that that has been pushed away in favor of this identity. Okay, so we're going to talk some more about that in just a few minutes. But for right now, what we need to know is that we can put on a mask and costume that is not at all who we are. And it's based on behavior patterns and sometimes feelings and thoughts that that have come about as a result of our trying to stay alive. Right? They don't have any, it doesn't have anything to do with who we really actually are. It only has to do with an effort to give other people what they, we think they want because we need them. All right? Add to that the fact that then we have schools which also tell us to sit down, shut up, and listen. And we have teachers who define who we are based on their own bias, their own whatever, um, I moved south many, many, many years ago from uh, from the north and uh, was thought of by several people as a damn Yankee. And some of those people were teachers. And they treated me with a quite, quite a bit of disdain because they thought that that's what 
I should be put in line. I should become more Southern some kind of way. And in order for me to do that, they were going to have to shame me out of being a Yankee, which, of course, made me want to hold on to being a Yankee all the more. So uh, it didn't work, uh, but uh, and I'm glad it didn't. But the point is that it that we we can go to an educational system that furthers the need for a mask and costume. Um, I could have just totally identified with what they needed from me. I could have become more and more ashamed, and I could have decided that, uh, you know, I was bad for being Yankee and put that away completely and try very hard to be Southern. I have adapted a little bit of the Southern accent, but I have not lost my Yankee ways and will not. So <laughs> the point is that it's it, – we have – that going into the educational system is one of those things that says don't be who you are, be what we need you to be. And then we have religion. We go to Sunday school and we learn how we should behave and we learn how we should interact with other people. And, and I'll never forget the time when my daughter came running home, running out of the uh, uh, living room one time when my, my son, it was my son's birthday and he was opening his presents and she, of course, tried to get one of his presents and he, of course, asserted that he should not, she should not have his present right then. And uh, she went running back into the bedroom into this dramatic, flare and threw herself on the bed and said you know i went followed her back there because i knew something was wrong and i sat down and she said mommy he's going to go to hell if he doesn't share and i said who told you that because i was very angry because i knew that she'd gotten that information from somewhere and she said my sunday school teacher told me this morning i said well what was happening just before she told you that she said well we were being bad we weren't sharing and and I said, so do you think it's possible that maybe she told you that because she wanted you to start sharing? She told you you'd go to hell because she thought it would scare you and maybe you'd start sharing? She went, yeah, that's what happened. She went running back out into the living room. Of course, I told my son that, you know, I told her that if she waited a little while, he'd probably share with her one of the other toys. And, of course, it would have been one of the ones, one of the ones he was least interested in. So that worked. The point is that she got information. And she was beginning to live out of that information, and I countered that information, and she believed me more than them. Had I believed the same information, she would have begun to live out of that, I guess, too. Uh, so religion gives us another way of, of defining ourselves as either bad or good. Usually it's somewhere along those lines. Uh, and then society, the uh, over sort of culture that we all live in it there's our subcultures there's our larger cultures and there's the big society that we all live in and each one of them has some kind of uh, message for us about how we ought to behave and how we ought to think and how we ought to feel and they're telling us who we need to be and so we try to comply and then we have our friends who are telling us how we ought to be and who we ought to look like and what we are how we ought to dress and how we ought to laugh and how we ought to talk and you know all of that you know there's nobody stricter on us than our peers in in especially in middle school and high school oh my god you can't look funny without somebody noticing so uh, that is another constraint that tells us here here's who you need to be be this and you'll be okay and we do it because why? Because we're afraid if we don't, we won't survive in whatever terms we have made survival for ourselves to be. We won't survive the social ethic. We won't survive emotionally. We won't survive uh, uh, financially. We won't survive physically. In some cases, in some very difficult homes, our physical, uh, physical survival is absolutely at stake. So 
All of these things give us a message about who we should be, and we try to be that. So not only do we have this flooring of duality in which we're separate from the divine because we're bad and it's good, whatever that is, but we also have all these other constraints upon us uh, because everybody else is living out of the same duality trance state, and we try very hard to live into that. And we try to stay separate from who we actually are in order to be okay with the rest of the world. Because we think if we're okay with the rest of the world, we'll be okay. Because somehow they, the big amorphous they, has all the power. So uh, in that process, we lose touch not only with the river of omniscience, but also with ourselves, which, as we'll see, is the river of omniscience. We're going to learn some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we've been talking today about the river of omniscience. And what we said in the first segment was that uh, there is such a river. Uh, it exists within us. It is under our feet, metaphorically speaking. It is accessible. 
And the information that it has to give us is not data, factual data, that's empirical data, but rather information that has to do with who we are. And that's what we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about in just a minute. Uh, we talked in the second segment about how we got out of touch with this river of omniscience. And uh, now we're going to talk about how we can get back in touch with it. So, okay. I want to talk, start first with the word meditation because you know I'm going there. Um, meditation is one of the handiest, most um, profound methods of getting in touch with that river of omniscience. Um, but before we understand what it is that ha- that we're getting in touch with, uh, what we're doing to get in touch with it, I want to explain a little bit more about what it is that we're getting in touch with. The omniscience is I am that I am. The, the thing that we can know is who we are. That is the thing that we come to know more than anything else when we get it dive into, if we will, the river of omniscience. We come to know who we are, how profoundly, deeply, amazingly, fully we are attached to that divine self, the the self with a capital S. I call it divine self because it is our deepest connection with the oneness of the I am. So I am that I am is the the thing that Yahweh supposedly said to Moses when Moses asked him who who shall I say sent me when he was asked challenged by the divine to go and speak to his people and say listen I've got this new path for you and they're going to ask me who sent me and he says so who am I going to say sent me and the divine answers I am that I am sent you sent Tell them I am that I am sent you. Now, if you can imagine Moses going back and saying, I am that I am sent me to tell you this. What he's basically saying is, I sent myself. And, you know, if, if, if the Hebrew people heard that at that point, they knew. They tapped into the river of omniscience. They knew that Moses was telling them that he was divine and therefore they were divine as well. Who knows what they heard? I suspect they didn't hear that at all. But uh, because the name didn't, it stopped being I am that I am and became Yahweh. Uh, but the word Jehovah means I am that I am. It's epseity. It means uh, there's a long chain of words that says I am that I am that I always was and I always will be something to that effect. And that's what it actually means. And that is who we are as well. And... Uh, of course, you get to decide whether or not you agree with that, but that is who we are. Uh, that is who Moses was when he was being sent, and that is who we are, and that is who Jesus was, and that is who Buddha was, and that is who Krishna was, and that is who uh, you know. many, many of the religions all get us down to that same place, that same I am that I am. So when we tap into the river of omniscience, that's what we're tapping into. We're tapping into the I am that I am. And uh, that I was and I always will be. And that never had a beginning and that never had an end. That knows all because it is all. And the knowing all is the all. Uh, so it, it isn't uh, just the I know stuff now. <laughs> it's, we're not going to be tapping into, hey, hey, man, I'm cool because I know some stuff now. It's not that. Uh, it is that deep 
real recognition that we are so not only connected but the same as the divine that we are uh, we can be in that and that being in that being that is the all the information we need okay now that doesn't mean that we also don't get wonderful insights meditation is one of the ways that i gain a great deal of insight um, there's there's a knowingness that comes with just sitting in the same room with your deepest self that can't be erased. That uh, you once you know it, you know it, and it's yours, and you ground yourself in it, and it's just there for you. That doesn't mean you don't walk out of the fold sometimes and run into something, because <laughs> you do. But it does mean that you always know where to go to come back to it. And meditation is one of those things that we can always come back to to find that deeper essence of who we are. So, and by meditation, I don't mean sit a certain way and hold your hands a certain way and think a certain thought and say a certain thing. I don't mean that. I mean the simple process of tapping into the deepest essence of who you are. Somebody asked me one time, well, how do you meditate? I said, I go in there and find God. <laughs> I mean, and God is a word that I use very loosely there to really be something more like the divine because the word God is not something I'm really comfortable with. But, uh, so I go inside me and there it is. That's, that's meditation. Um, and I just have to sit and be quiet enough to, to begin to feel and see and taste and touch that essential beingness that I am. And that's the information. Okay. So in, so meditation is definitely one of the ways. Intuition is another. When we have an intuition about something, it is the river of omniscience coming up to go, hello, do you see this? Can you see this? And it can be inf- intuition about something really very wonderful. Or it could be intuition about something that's not so wonderful that we kind of go, no, not so sure about that. That doesn't feel like something that's really real. And that's the way I look at it. It's not necessarily something that's bad or good, but it's, it could be something that's false. It could be something that's not really real. And... And I just don't want to spend a whole lot of time messing with stuff that's not real. Although, sometimes I do, because I get out of the fold, too. Uh, so, intuition can definitely be of help to us, and tapping into that on a daily, regular basis, to just kind of play with it, is something I encourage, to just kind of go, well, um, phone rings, who, who do I think that is that's calling? You know, it's a game. You just kind of, what does that feel like? Oh, I think that's going to be mom, or I think that's going to be, you know, so-and-so. And And very often it is, and you you might be surprised at how often your intuition comes up for you. Now, what I'm going to say about intuition is that it's never wrong. Never, ever, ever, not once is it wrong. However, we can get it mixed up with fear. We can get it mixed up with uh, ego. We can get it mixed up with pride and, you know, all kinds of other things we can get it mixed up with. And then we'll go wrong. But intuition in and of itself, when it's in its purest, truest form, is not wrong ever. And it's because it comes from the river of omniscience. Another way to tap into uh, that river is through our dreams. And many people out there who just go, oh, it's just a dream. Get over it. Um, and, you know, they, what they mean is it's just a dream. I mean, when I had nightmares when I was a kid, somebody told me it's just a dream. It doesn't matter. Uh, but as time has gone by and I've become really in touch with my dreams and I've written them down and looked over them, looked back over them years later and seen the amazing information that was in my own dreams that was going, oh, well, here's this and here's that. Um, 
I, uh, I, I don't, I no longer feel that they're just dreams. They are part of the river of omniscience that can come up to us, the self that says, here I am, here I am, here I am, come see me, come see me, come see me. That's the call of our intuition. That's the call of our dreams that just says, here I am, come see me, come be with me, come be me. Um, and when we do that, we are we are in the river of omniscience. Our own emotions, genuine emotions, can um, can absolutely bring us to further awareness of our of that river of omniscience uh, by recognizing our emotions and sitting with them long enough to hear their essential message. We can uh, tap into that river of omniscience. Now, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean I'm angry and I want to knock somebody's lights out so therefore I'm going to go lock their, knock their lights out and then I'll feel better and now I am I must know something. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. We have to sit with our emotions. Uh, we can, uh, what Carl Jung called holding the tension between the emotion that comes up and the, and the need to act on that emotion, hold that tension long enough to sit with the emotion and see what it really has come to say because it really, I promise you, is not about somebody else. Your emotions are yours. They are for you, to you, and about you. They are not for someone else. So when we, we often give away the whole power of our emotion by going delivering some message to somebody else that our emotions are, well, I need to tell you so-and-so. And we go and tell them, and then that emotion didn't tell us what we needed to hear. So we didn't get into the river of omniscience. Um, so emotions can be very, very helpful. We have to learn to sit with them, and there's much more said about that in my books uh, and in my upcoming book that will be coming out later this year as well. So if you want more information about those, check those out at my website, uh, www.andreamatthewslpc.com. Um, so the other thing is we can get tr- uh, to the river of omniscience through original thoughts. Now, these are a little bit hard to come by. Here's why. Because we've been so inculcated with other people's thoughts and agendas for so many years that it is difficult for us to find a single original thought in our own heads. We spout out information that other people taught us and we don't even know that it's something somebody else taught us because it was so uh, imprinted on us. It's like somebody inserted a computer chip and said, you will spout out this information from now on and it will, you will think it's coming from you, but it is not. Uh, because it is not coming from us. It is it's not coming from that centered, soulful, deep self. It is coming from somebody else's agenda, somebody else's thoughts. I remember uh, being little and having my mother have a particular po- political persuasion, and I thought, well, I believe that too, and I never even thought about it until years later when I did think about it more critically and began to go, oh, okay, well, that's what I believe too, but... I didn't know what I believed back then. My mother believed it, so I believed it too. Um, So that's the kind of discernment it takes to be able to go, okay, now that's what you believe. That's what I've heard you say, but really, what do I believe? And our beliefs are so critical to how we live our lives. They are the bottom line for our actions. Um, So if I believe that you have the power over me, then I'm going to either mouse down or I'm going to try to beat you up to get my power back. But if I believe that I'm fully empowered to live my life as I choose, then what you think is rather immaterial, irrelevant. So um, in the process of finding out our own original thoughts, that's a – that. Sometimes it takes some writing to go, okay, what do I really believe about this? Now, is that really true inside of me? Does that resonate with me? To really pay attention to that. It takes some work. 
So I'm going to encourage that work of writing. And in my book, Restoring My Soul, we do a lot of that book writing in the workbook itself. So, you know, if you wanted that kind of work, you can certainly find it there. But there's other books out there as well that encourage you to really get in touch the artist's way, um, some of the, uh, Julia Cameron's work, a lot of Julia Cameron's work, I encourage you to do the work in the pages of her book and really get in touch with what you're really thinking and feeling about things. Um, your desires, if they are authentic desires, can also lead you to that deeper place inside of you where you can find out more about what is true about who you are. Um, the word uh, Yahweh, uh, I mean Jehovah, comes all the way down to the word desire. So the essential essence of who we are is desire. So getting in touch with our deepest, truest longings, that is our es- essence. It is our self. And uh, we will find that river of omniscience right there in the center of the self. Um, and so des- uh, our desires, if they're authentic, can also get us there. And uh, again, as I said, meditation is very, very helpful and get in touch with all these other things. And meditation can help us get deeper into our intuition. It can help us understand our dreams better. It can help us with our to sort of sit with and, and, and uh, hear our emotions better. It can help us determine what our original thoughts are. And it can help us clue into what our truest authentic desires are, not those that are based in, uh, uh, you know, some other distorted essence of of living i desire to survive so therefore i must do what you need me to do that's not an authentic desire so um so i've said a whole lot today uh and i hope that i it it can be encapsulated in an hour i don't really think it can but as much as i can give to it in this hour i've tried to give to it and uh, i hope that it's been helpful to you next week we're going to be talking about the purpose of the past why do we need the past and what is it good for i mean are we supposed to identify with it or are we supposed to stay stuck there i don't think so what's the purpose of the past we'll talk about that next week and remember your job should you choose to accept it is to give birth to yourself Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.